0: Good morning everybody, good morning those online. Um, We're going to read about clean and unclean food as uh, Coops was was alerting us about a little earlier. Now the two key things here to help us keep our minds around this particular reading from Leviticus 11, one is that you've got a, for those who think a, a picture's worth a thousand words, this is one of those. It's in your notes for your community groups, and there's great value in that. It just simplifies it amazingly. Also, verse 3 is the key verse for this chapter. So let's, let's read. We're going to read verses 1 to 19, and then verses 41 to the end of the chapter. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live on land... These are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. I'll say that again. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud and only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. I used and. It should have been or. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof. You must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water, of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat you must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. Every creature that moves along the ground, this is verse 41, every creature that moves along the ground is to be regarded as unclean, it is not to be eaten. You are not to eat any creature that moves along the ground, whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet. It is unclean. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Looking forward to hear what Darren has to say about this.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Darren. Good morning. It's a bit loud. To those who haven't met me, my name is Darren and I'm a member here at the church. Uh, Let me add my welcome to uh, to you all, uh, especially if you're visiting or joining with us online. When I was in my early 20s, I toyed for a while with the idea of joining the Air Force as an engineer. I booked an appointment with the Defence Force careers advisor and during the course of that meeting, they filled me in on some of the requirements for being in the Defence Force. One of the requirements is that I needed to be able to run a certain distance in a certain amount of time. I think it was uh, a mile in 10 minutes or less. And so I worked at a course near my house, and every day I got up and got dressed and went out running, diligently working towards that magical pace that might gain me me entrance into the Defence Force. I think that lasted all of a week before I gave up utterly dejected and despondent that I just couldn't get that pace after so much hard work. Maybe a career protecting our proud nation wasn't the right one for me. The Defence Force had a list of requirements that applicants needed to be capable of in order to join their ranks. And those who made the commitment uh, and put in the effort to achieve those requirements were considered for jobs. Those, like me, who didn't make the grade, perhaps in my case due to a total lack of commitment, uh, were rejected. If I had wanted to join the Air Force, I would have placed a priority on improving my ability to run. I would have kept pushing through even when my legs and lungs were at their breaking point. For me to be accepted into the Air Force, I needed to meet their requirements on their terms. It didn't matter how much I said I wanted to join. If I wanted to be accepted, I needed to sacrifice my own comfort and to live my life in a way that demonstrated my commitment to the Defence Force. Today we're looking at a section of Leviticus which outlines rules and regulations on how the Israelites were to live if they were to be acceptable as God's people. These laws governed what they were to eat, how they would treat skin diseases and dead bodies, what to do with mould, as well as regulations around childbirth and sexual relations. Most of these laws will seem pretty strange to us, but to the Israelites 3,000 years ago, They were just the requirements that had to be met in order to live as God's people. We're going to look at some of these rules and try to make some sense of what these chapters are meant to say to us living in, what are we, 2021? I almost forget what year we're in. They're all the same these years. Uh, But before we get there, let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word today, we can't help but be struck by the strangeness of what we read We're aware that it's often hard to understand how the rules and regulations we're looking at today have any application to our modern lives. And yet, in your infinite wisdom, and through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, you have caused these words to be recorded and preserved for over 3,000 years for our benefit. For we know that all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts and minds to your wonderful words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We begin our journey through this part of Leviticus with a list of food laws which would govern what the Israelites were allowed to eat in order to stay right with God. Uh, To start with, we get a list of rules regarding land animals. Basically, they're split into four quadrants based on whether they have a parted hoof or not and whether they chewed the cud or not. So cows are in. Camels are out because they chew the cud but don't part the hoof, and pigs are out because they part the hoof but don't chew the cud. The Bible doesn't really say what's in that fourth quadrant, who don't chew the cud and don't have a parted hoof. We're assumed they're kangaroos or something, but they're out as well. Who's eaten all of those? A few hands, yeah. How about water animals? We're probably on safer ground here. Fins and scales. I'm okay with that. Seriously, I'm quite happy with writing oysters off as being detestable and (laughs) anti-biblical. Some of you may disagree with me, but I've got the book on my side. Then there's a list of birds that can't be eaten and rules around insects and swarming animals, as well as a quick list of rules for touching dead animals. Now, some of these laws seem pretty random, but at the end of Chapter 11... Uh, we find out why God gave these rules to Israel. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. You see, with great signs and wonders, God has brought his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt and has brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And it's here, at the foot of the mountain, that God lays the foundations of what it means to be his chosen people a people in relationship with the God of the universe, a God who is holy. This isn't something that's optional. Israel can't choose to disregard these rules if they want to live under the protection of a holy God. So a question we need to ask then is, what does it mean to be holy? It's a strange word and one we don't really use in conversation much. And actually, the Bible doesn't really define what holiness is, except in one way. God is holy. God is the one who defines what it means to be holy, because holiness is God's essential quality. And so for the Israelites to be holy, essentially meant they should become like God, as much as human beings are able. They should seek to develop in themselves characteristics such as God possesses. Love, grace, mercy, justice, righteousness. And so part of the requirements for becoming more godlike, if I can put it that way, was to regulate what you ate. Some animals were fine to eat, others were detestable and should be avoided. And this then raises another question. What was the deciding factor in what could be eaten and what couldn't? What was the rationale behind these rules? Now there have been many theories put forward to answer this, and the reality is, we actually don't know what the rationale is behind the laws because we're simply not told. Uh, it's possible the Israelites themselves had a, had a better understanding of why certain foods were acceptable and others weren't, but if so, the writer of Leviticus failed to fill that in for us. The only explanation we're given is what we read earlier: be holy because I am holy. The food laws are what they are, because that's what God said they should be. Perhaps we can put this in a a clearer light, or another light at least, by considering the first food law which God gives in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, God says to the man he made, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Children's Bibles often portray it as something like an apple. Uh, but the fact is, it, it could have been anything. The rationale behind the specific choice of tree isn't important here. The purpose of God's command wasn't to protect Adam and Eve from the physical events, uh, f- physical effects of eating some malevolent fruit. The purpose was to give them the opportunity to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, by trusting in God and obeying his command. In the same way, the reasons behind the exact details of the laws in Leviticus are far less important than the call to be holy for the Israelites to trust and obey God. Come back to more on that in a minute. But at this point, I just want to spend a couple of minutes defining a couple of the terms we've used this morning because they may be a bit unfamiliar to us. Clean and unclean. Often when we think of things being unclean or unholy, we generally think of something being sinful or evil. But that's not necessarily the way the Israelites thought of things. For the Israelites, everything fell into certain categories. Things were either holy or common. And things that were common could be clean or unclean. Something clean could become holy through the process of sanctification. And similarly, something unclean could become whole, could become clean uh, through purification or cleansing. Going the other way, something holy could be profaned, which would cause it to become common, but possibly still clean. And something clean, when polluted, would become unclean. And these three categories, holy, clean and unclean, were also part of a continuum from life to death. Now, the processes of cleansing and sanctification were achieved through washing and through sacrifices, while profaning and pollution were sometimes the result of sin, but sometimes not. We read later in chapter 15 of Leviticus that a woman having her period is considered unclean. For Israel, life was in the blood. And so the loss of blood symbolises a movement from life towards death, moving the woman from clean to unclean. It wasn't a result of sin. She hadn't done anything wrong. But the loss of blood still made the, the woman unclean and resulted in her temporary exile from communal worship. Being unclean was also something transmissible, something contagious, a bit like COVID perhaps. If a person were to touch an unclean person or thing, they themselves would become unclean and would need to undergo a cleansing ritual in order to rejoin the the community as they worshipped God. What really becomes apparent as we look at all these rules and regulations is how incredibly pervasive they were. They reached out into almost every aspect of life they governed what you ate, how you interacted with other people, how you dealt with sickness. They weren't things that you just thought about once in a while, like when you are on the way to the tabernacle on the Sabbath. These laws regulated the way you lived, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They defined you as an Israelite, as part of God's chosen people, set apart. The reason they were important is because the tabernacle was in the centre of the Israelite camp and the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt, the, the touch point between heaven and earth. God was present in their midst and so they were to live every moment of every day in a way that reflected that reality. Whatever the exact rationale behind the regulations, they were put in place so that God's people, the Israelites, could live side by side with the God of the universe. My attempt at meeting the requirements for the Air Force was something I could choose. If I chose to live my life in another way, the worst that would happen is I'd need to find another job. For the Israelites, though, if they chose to ignore these regulations, to eat whatever they wanted, for example, the result would be much more catastrophic. A rejection of God's rules was a rejection of God himself. And in turn, God would reject them. And tragically, that's exactly what happened seven years before Christ, 700 years before Christ, when northern Israel was overtaken by Assyria, and around 100 years later, when those remaining in southern Israel were taken into exile by Babylon. The failure of the Israelites to live their lives in accordance with the requirements that God had laid out led to their rejection and to their destruction. So how should we look at these rules and regulations today? Should we still be following all these regulations in the way that we live? Or are they simply something from another culture, from another time, so far removed that they're simply irrelevant? Did the rules change at some point? Perhaps the example that comes most quickly to mind is in the New Testament book of Acts, after Jesus had ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection. The apostle Peter had a vision and we read in chapter 10, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up Peter, kill and eat. Surely not Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter's about to get a visit from a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Up until this point, Christianity really belonged to the Jews and God is giving Peter an object lesson that this non-Jewish Roman centurion, along with all other non-Jews, were now considered clean and could become part of the Christian community. So is this when the food laws were done away with? Was this when the rules changed? Let's go back a few years to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 7, don't worry about that. Uh, In chapter 7, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? If Jesus is God, how is he able to be in the presence of these unclean disciples? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, Jesus' own disciples are having a bit of trouble at this point, and I can understand why. Did Jesus just say that the food and hygiene laws were just a human invention? Or did Israel's teachers just miss the point of it all? Later, Jesus spoke to his disciples, saying, Are you so dull? It wasn't very complimentary today. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. Mark takes us aside and says, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So what's going on here? In Leviticus, God gave the Israelites a whole bunch of rules and regulations about what they could eat. And if they ate the wrong thing, they would become unclean. But here, Jesus is saying that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them. Is Jesus changing the rules? How do we view the regulations of Leviticus in light of Jesus' words here? The rules and regulations of Leviticus were put in place as a practical demonstration of a spiritual truth. As people belonging to a holy God the Israelites to reflect that holiness in the way they lived their lives. They would live, a way, live in a way which developed godly character, which reflected the righteousness and glory of their God to the nations around them. They would live their lives differently to the other nations because they belonged to God. It wasn't that the physical act of eating pork caused an Israelite to become unclean. It was the state of their heart. Jesus is saying here, it it was never about the food, it's about where you put your faith. Are you committed to keeping God front and centre of your life, not just on Sunday mornings, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Jesus went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I want to finish today by looking at a few verses which may help us to see this in action. We've seen that both through Jesus' words and through Peter's vision... God has declared that all foods are clean and that the regulations in Leviticus are no longer necessary for us to be clean. It's not that the Old Testament laws have been discarded, but rather they've been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And there's another change that's come with Christ. There's a story in Matthew chapter eight, and I want you to listen for the language here. It, it's a healing story, but the word "heal" is never used. I want you to notice what's said instead. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, "Lord, if you are willing me, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. "I am willing," he said. "Be clean immediately." He was cleansed of his leprosy. Do you see that? Under the Leviticus rules, uncleanliness was contagious. If you touched something that was unclean, you yourself became unclean. But what happens here? Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the unclean leper. And it's Christ's cleanness that's transferred to the leper. In fact, through Christ's death on the cross, he has washed us and cleansed us from our filth and made us clean so that we can stand in the tabernacle, in the temple. In fact, Paul says of the church in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? God dwells in our midst. Isn't that just like the situation in Leviticus? And God is still holy, and he still calls us to be holy. First Peter gives us these words. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. We're no longer required to abstain from eating certain foods. We can eat oysters. We can handle a lizard and come to church on the same day. We no longer need to sacrifice animals in order to go to community group on Wednesday night. But we're still called to be holy. We, the church, are the temple of God. The touch point between heaven and earth. God is present in our midst and we need to live every moment of every day in a way that reflects that reality. We're to live our lives in ways that are different to the world around us. We're called to put in the effort with God's help to develop within ourselves godly character, love, grace, mercy, justice, righteousness. And we're called to do this, not just on a Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And he's rescued us out of our slavery to sin. And his command to all of us is the same. Be holy, because I am holy. Let me pray. Father God, you alone are holy, and as your people, you call us to live lives of holiness. Teach us what it means to live as your people, reflecting your glory to those around us, not just when we feel like it, but every moment of every day. Forgive us for those times we've rejected your call to holiness. and Take us and shape us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Pass back over to Kate.